The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic decided to support the software social community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. This episode is sponsored by Diversify Tech. Diversify Tech helps companies reach candidates from underrepresented communities in tech. The job board reaches 7,300 members. They have a free talent directory, and they have a newsletter for companies to learn about diversity, equality, and inclusion. Please check them out at www.diversifytech.co. Thank you again to Balsamic for generously supporting our listeners in this way. If you'd like to receive a promo code for Balsamic, visit balsamic.com backslash go backslash software social. Colleen, can I ask you a question that you're not supposed to ask people? Are you going to ask me how old I am? No, I'm not going to ask you how old you are. I am going to ask you how much money you have made on your side project. But oh. <laughs> So we had talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? Like you had said that somebody had paid you $10. Yes. And that you had um, a bunch of people who had signed up on your free trial and that their first charge was coming through in the middle of February. And now we are in the middle of February. And so I was curious if you would share with us what it's looking like uh, from a revenue perspective right now. Okay, sure. So two customers um, were up middle of February, one churned and one paid the $10. Nice. So that's always exciting. Yeah. But the real exciting boost for me is as of, I think about a week ago, maybe 10 days ago, it's been live on the Heroku app store. And I've had a couple people sign up and there's no free trial. So they're signing up at $35 a month. Sweet. Yeah, it's actually really exciting. I'm trying to not get too excited, but um, I think the important thing to remember about Heroku though, it's not like Stripe. I don't get paid up front. Your pro rate build. So if they sign up to try it out and then they deprovision it or, you know, cancel it essentially, I only get $1 or whatever, you know, the 35 amortized over the number of days in the month is. Oh, so it's so a month after. So if I sign yes. up February 1st, for example, I would be billed March 1st for it. And if I cancel February 15th, I'm billed on February 15th for two weeks worth of usage. Is that right? I think that's correct. Um, okay. So I haven't actually seen any of that money yet. Uh, and so, but it is really exciting. Like I wasn't sure once I made it, you know, paid if anyone would sign up for it. And I've had a handful of people sign up. So that's it's amazing. really exciting. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it is very exciting. And I kind of like don't, know what I should be tracking. I'm kind of struggling with that because I'm not actually tracking churn right now. I don't know if that's important to track. Like I see if someone cancels, but I don't, I'm not like tracking that metric over time. I think more important than the, the numbers and, and percentages right now is why did they churn, right? So right now know, we know that I you emailed had 50 them. Okay, good, good. That's what you should have done, right? So right now yeah. you say, okay, 50% of the people canceled, which looks really bad on the surface. But that number, yeah. knowing that one out of two people canceled, those numbers will never tell you why that happened. And so, yes, it's a good idea to be um, attuned to those numbers. But at this stage, the most important thing is to try to figure out why. 
that's what I figured is like the goal here is to talk to people. So I am like, yes. really- oh my God, Colleen, like <laughs> finally, oh, my heart. six months it's later, like, I've come around uh, to it, Michelle. It's fluttering hearing you say that. I mean, you know, I was thinking about something this morning. So if none of these people churn and they probably will, like I said, people are trying it out, but like I'm at 120 MRR. Nice. I mean, that's amazing, right? Yes, like, that's amazing. A lot of people never even launch a product. I've launched a product and that's amazing. within 10 days, I'm at 120 MRR. Well, so I'm trying. Like, dude, I know. Like, you have <laughs> been you. working towards this for like so, like, I feel like there's so many milestones that you've gone through and, you know, people like listening right now, right? Like, like you're hearing, oh my God, like Colleen like got this thing launched and she got it in, in, in the marketplace and then she went through all these hoops and now she has people paying her, like- it has taken you years to get to this point. Like, like a year ago when we were still having our in-person weekly business chats before the pandemic and we were both in the same place and all of that, like you were trying whatever you could to even find a product, find a problem you could solve. Like the idea of like, if I had told you one year from now, you will have, you know, a hundred and something people using your product, paying you a hundred and something dollars a month for it. (laughs) Like, I I think you, I I don't know what you would have said. You either wouldn't have believed me or it'd be like, can we just like fast forward to that? To there, right? Can we fast forward? But like, this is like, this has, this is the culmination of years worth of work for you. Like, yes, it looks like it's only been in the last three months, but you have been working towards this for such a long time. Yeah. And I think that's super important to remember because I was thinking about, like I was trying in my head, I was fast forwarding to a year from now. And probably when I tell my hopefully success story, it'll be, oh, I launched it, you know, February 4th, 2021. But to your point, like that's totally a lie. I have been working on ideas and talking to people for years. I mean, the whole reason I learned to code was so I could have a product business. So this is, this is really a lot, you know, a long adventure in the making. This I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited. So I'm trying not to, I mean, this is really where the work begins. This is where a lot of people stop working, I think. And I think that's why I know so many software developers that can't quite get their products off the ground. For me, this is where the work begins. Like I think I made a joke the other day to my husband. I was like, I thought having children taught me patience. What's really teaching me patience is having a business. Um, you know, I have to like avoid. So what I'm trying to do, what I'm focusing on or what I'm just trying to do mentally is not attach my personal happiness to whether people sign up or not. Oh God. Oh, that's such a, that's such a hard one. And like not attaching your, I don't know, self-worth, self-worth to like somebody canceled and you're like, no, just stab me through the heart. Like, you know, like it's that, that is a normal feeling to feel like take it personally when people aren't signing up or they're canceling like it is I think it's okay to like make space for yourself to like take that personally but like put that feeling in a box keep it somewhere safe put it off to the side and then say okay what am I doing that like I could have more people signing up or why are these people canceling let me attack this objectively but making space for those feelings of like rejection and and hurt that come with that that's that's totally fair 
Yeah. I mean, I found myself the other day, I was just kind of in a blah mood. So I was like, oh, I'll check my signups. And someone had signed up. So I got this dopamine boost. I was like, sweet. It was great. But just as easily, someone could have churned or I could have had no signups. And would I have internalized that in like exactly the opposite way? So I'm trying not to obsessively check my signups. <laughs> That's what I'm trying not to do. <laughs> it's exciting funny, though, right? Like you said, you're getting oh my gosh, dopamine Michelle, hit to, from it. To your point, like I can't, I mean, there's so much work to do, but holy crap, look where I am. People are paying me money for this thing. Like I have a real product. <laughs> People are paying me real money. It's very exciting. It's, it's amazing. I mean, like, so you should, you know, allow yourself to enjoy those dopamine hits too, right? Like you have earned that, you have worked for it, but I think the, the you know, yeah, the hard thing is, is the, the reverse of the dopamine hit, whatever that is called. Um, and, and not letting that get you too down and, and taking everything, both when good things happen and when bad things happen. Both of those are learning opportunities. And to your point that, you know, raising a business has challenges on the level of parenting. Um, you said raising a business. Did you realize oh. that? <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> if I ever write a book about business, that's, that's going to be called raising be called. a business. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, that, like that's one of the hard things is to say, okay, how do I learn from this? And, you know, so one of the things they say about parenting is like the things that are hard now, like you will figure them out, but then you will have new hard things to figure out. Yeah. And someone said that much better than me and I just completely butchered it. But I think you know what I mean. Like, you know, getting your child to sleep is a problem that you eventually solve and then is replaced by another problem, right? Yeah. Um. And, and I think that's very true, but if you are able to respond to those challenges as opportunities for growth, um, that will serve you well. So you have this revenue, and this is also recurring revenue too, right? Like this is the amazing thing about SaaS, right? Yeah, I mean, so it's like, occurred no once, but it will theoretically recur in the future. Yes. As long as, you know, again, we'll have to see if people stick around. It's only been a week, so they could be trying it out. Um, but yeah, this is recurring revenue. So I feel like I've achieved a really exciting for me level of success in these yes. like 10 days since it's been live and something interesting happened. Um, a casual internet acquaintance, which is pretty much all my friends these days. <laughs> I mean, like if we have one talk, I'm like, it's oh, we're true. great friends. <laughs> it's COVID. It's true. So like we have a conversation on Twitter and on then Twitter. We, like mutual follow after that. And I'm like, oh my God, we're best friends. We're best now. friends. <laughs> so a casual Twitter acquaintance um, sent me a DM with some interesting information. And he said, um, he said something that, that I, I'm actually a little not uncomfortable to share, but whatever. He said, Colleen, you know, congratulations. Like you've had so much, it seems like you're having so much success. In the last episode of the podcast, Michelle said, quote, obviously you found a hole in the market, end quote. And he told me a story about how years ago he had a podcast and about his business and someone copied his business. Like, word for word. And he, he was just kindly trying to like, give me a heads up that 
you know, you're not that far ahead. You don't really have an established business yet. If someone wanted to fill this hole, especially someone with a team, they could catch up to you in like two months. And it freaked me out. Yeah, it sounds like that really scared you. Well, I mean, it's going so well. I almost don't want to tell people it's going well because any of these, not that any of these big companies know anything about me, but, you know, anybody could just build one of these things and be a direct competitor. And they know what, I, I mean, because of the podcast, like there's this huge benefit of building in public, but because of the podcast, they literally know exactly what my service does and what it doesn't do. And so, yeah. So I think you're justified in, in being freaked out by that. And I think the person who brought this to, to you, it sounds like they're being very well-intentioned and trying to be helpful to you, but this has understandably freaked you out. Yes. And I would like to remind you that you have something that those big companies do not have. The thing about big companies is that they are extremely difficult to turn. You are a the equivalent of a little sunfish. You know those little tiny sailboats that have like one person on them? A, these large companies you're competing with, they're a cruise ship. They may <laughs> be able to throw a team of 20 people at something. They could put 20 developers on something and launch something in two, two months if they wanted to. They have bureaucracy to go through. They have departments to go through. They have department heads who all want to weigh in on things. Big companies do not move quickly, even if they have the bodies. And they also only pivot that giant cruise ship for big opportunities. Like we compete with Google and Microsoft and now Amazon, like all of these huge companies. And yes, that's a little bit scary, but also I know that we have so much less bureaucracy than they do. We also have way lower overhead. So like, you know, I think, I think one of those companies, someone told me once, they will only pursue a new opportunity if it will create at least a billion dollars in business. And wow. your product is awesome and it's making money. I don't think you're going to make a billion dollars anytime soon. I'm sorry <laughs> to break it to you. Um, I don't know if you want it to be the female Elon Musk. Um, you are nimble. And the other thing that you have, which is often missing in big companies, is that you intimately understand what the user is trying to do and why they would use you and why they are not satisfied with current options. And not only do you have that personal experience with it, but you're also going out and talking to other people and building your understanding and building understanding of other use cases related to this. And I mean, that's where our advantage comes from is that we care about use cases that other companies don't care about. Like there are things we purposely don't go after that our competitors go after. Yeah, it's it's scary thinking about competitors and it's scary thinking somebody could copy you in, you know, two months. Like that's that's scary. And and I mean, we've had people completely copy all of our website, but also they don't have other things going into it, um, you know, that they can't see that we have. But yeah, dude, like I totally understand why you would be scared by that. Yeah, it's definitely like building in public has been such a benefit to me. I mean, us and this podcast and being online, that has been nothing but good. But now, you know, it was just an interesting 
kind of other side of the coin of how, well, maybe it could be kind of bad um, down the road. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> right, right. I mean, like, we'll, we'll find out. I mean, you know, somebody could already be working on something and they happen to find the podcast. And but the thing is, like, listening to the podcast is not going to give them the technical skills to build this. It's not going to give them the level of empathy and concern that you have for the user that drives how you make pricing decisions and strategic decisions and marketing decisions. Like, you know, I, I often see things floating around on Twitter of, uh, you know, people offering ideas for uh, projects or, or whatever. And, you know, I, I do this occasionally myself because I was very frustrated about faxing the other day. Um, <laughs> but the thing that you... That, that doesn't come from just having like a list of ideas, what doesn't turn those into good businesses is all of those things that you have, like that level of concern about a problem, right? Because like if you're not sort of deeply concerned about solving a problem, you're not going to like get up and work on it every day. Like I think that's what led you to work on this for six months was that you were building something for yourself that frustrated you so much that you were willing to work on it in the dark and launch it even if you were the only person who had ever used it because it bothered you so much. It's true. And yes, somebody listening could be like, oh, well, I could go hire a team of 20 developers and build this in two months, but they are not going to have that level of feeling about the problem and and, yeah. and that level of empathy for the user. And I think that's such a powerful thing that you shouldn't undercount. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Um, and they're not going to go after my, you know, a hundred dollars a month or whatever it is. <laughs> it's it's low, um, low hanging fruit for people who have a team. So you don't have to sit here and tell me I'm right and act like you're not freaked out by it. Like it's, okay I am though, because like... I've come so far <laughs> and it's not really big companies. It's I'm worried. Oh gosh, this sounds so bad. It's not that I'm worried, but it's, it's not big companies. Cause you're right. Like they're not going to go after my tiny little slice of the market. It's, it's like other, other people like me, like other indie hackers who are searching for an idea who are like, Oh, I'll just take Colleen's idea. Anyway, I'm probably to those people it. who have maybe thought about that. I would <laughs> encourage them to be introspective about their problems, as you have, about the different processes they go through every day as part of their work and notice when they are frustrated and direct their energy towards that, because I think it will be a much more productive endeavor. If you go around just trying to copy people all of the time, that's very that's very frustrating and you'll be spinning your wheels and maybe you find something once in a while that sticks but start with solving your own problems. I like it. I like it. All right, I'm going to I'm going to put that somewhere else in my brain. I'm not going to worry about that. If it becomes a problem, I'll handle it when it becomes a problem. So, something else I want to talk about was um distribution. Oh. So you had a you had a tweet this morning, baby, about <laughs> what did I tweet? <laughs> it was something you were just explaining how you got customers. And I think you oh, said okay. SEO was, mm -hmm. was the number one thing. So I'm kind of wondering, um, I'm getting a lot of customers through Heroku, like just through their, their marketplace. But I am always, I have a lot of people asking me about that. Like I have a lot of friends in the Rails community who have built products and now they want to know how to sell their products. And they're trying to figure out if they should buy ads 
if they should write content. And I'd love to talk a little bit about if you remember, like, I mean, I was thinking of you because you guys just launched into the like regular internet. I mean, if I had launched into the regular internet, I would have like zero signups. So do you remember like how, how that got started and how people find you now? Yes. Um, and, and I will caveat this because the way our launch went, I, I don't think was very typical. So we launched and we basically just threw it on Hacker News. So when we launched, like Product Hunt didn't exist. Like, I don't know if Indie Hackers was around. Maybe it was. I didn't know about it. Um, so we just put it on Hacker News and then asked a couple of our friends who are located in different places to upvote it. And then to our huge surprise, it like took off and was on the front page sometimes in the number one position for a whole day. That oh, wow. is really unusual. Now, there's a combination of luck there. There's also that we clearly launched something that people really needed. Um, and so, you know, how much of that was luck and how much was that, um, you know, launching a, a product with genuine demand. Um, but that traffic fell off like right away. Um, like actually if people want to see the graphs on this, Matthias and I gave a talk at Laracon like three or four years ago. We talked about launching it as a side project and you can see the Google analytics chart, like this massive spike on the first day. And then it just like drops off. And whenever I look at our Google analytics, I have to filter out our launch because it distorts everything so much. Like we had so much <laughs> traffic and then it was all gone like a week later. Okay. So, so I'll, I'll sort of start with that. Um, but really how we get customers, and, and this has basically been this way from the beginning, like, like our first month, for example, you said that you have hit what you define as success. So I remember when we launched, I defined different levels of success and a, like a, a baseline success was we launch it, we can use it, we can keep our projects going that we needed this for. A like, um, I don't know, I don't remember what I called it, but like a, sort of a next level of success was that we launch it and some people pay us for it and it covers the server costs so that we don't have to pay to maintain the servers, which were two DigitalOcean servers. So that definition of the second level of success was $20 a month. <laughs> And a wild success was that it more than pays for its servers. Not like <laughs> nice. we go full time the next day or like anything like that. It was, it pays for its servers. And so we made like $31 our first month with $20 in expenses. And so we were over the moon because we never expected to be that successful. Um, but our revenue was, I mean, pretty, pretty low, like, like under $1,000 for a long time. Do you um, remember how long? I'm just trying to get like realistic uh, benchmarks. I mean, one month, three months, six so months. So I think it was like four or five months later. So quite a while. Okay. We broke a thousand, but then it took a really long time to like, you know, break 5,000, right? Like, and it would like have months where it was kind of, uh, felt like it was stagnating. Okay. Um, so, but how we have grown basically since then is, is, you know, the, the, just the raw distribution and acquisition angle um, has been, has been SEO. Like we also did a lot of things like, you know, we'd post on Stack Overflow or Quora or other places where people were asking about, um, geocoding. We don't really do that as much anymore. 
Um, but it basically just comes down to, you know, having landing pages that speak to the problem and then tweaking the words we're using on those landing pages and improving them to match what people are typing in paired with a freemium model. And I think that's a really important piece for us because people can try it for free. So there's less legwork that we have to do to convince them to sign up. So I have been working in my marketing power hours this week. Every every day I've been working on my landing page to try to improve the copy. And you just said tweaking our landing pages based on what customers put in or something. Mm -hmm. So how do you, two questions, what do you mean? And how do you know that your landing page is actually resonating? So one of the tools I use for that, um, I use uh, Ahrefs a lot these days, but for a long time, what I used was Google Search Console, which is totally Mm -hmm. free and you can set up on your site. And it tells you the keywords that are leading people to you. Um, And so if I would find that the words people were using were not the words we were using. um, So for example, like we use the term reverse geocoding a lot, which is turning Mm -hmm. coordinates to addresses. And like what I found from using Google Search Console, for example, was that people were typing in GPS coordinates to address. Which is like, I would never describe it as GPS coordinates or address to GPS coordinates. Like I I would not use that term on my own. Um, And so that's, that's an example of something that we would, of how we would change it. There's another question there. Did I answer that other question? How do you know it's working? I mean, do you do? So I'm only. So I don't. So. Okay. Okay. So this is, this is the thing. Like, I mean, I check in on these things like maybe once a month or so. Like there are people who are much more attuned to their metrics than I am. Um, Like I fundamentally know whether it's working. Like are there more people reaching out to me about these specific things? So for example, last year we had someone, someone in one of my feedback emails mentioned that they were using us not for getting coordinates, but to find the county for an address. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting because this is a feature that we support, but We've never really talked about it very much. Like we return that with all of our results, but we don't we don't really talk about it too much. And so then I made a landing page that was a step-by-step guide to how to add the county to addresses. And then I noticed the next month when I had people reaching out to me for feedback of new customers, like a whole bunch of them were saying, oh, I needed to add the county to addresses. And I was like, okay, that page worked. Um, Got it. Yeah, I, I, I tend to not look at the numbers too closely like I know that we're doing the right things if our revenue is stable or increasing if we're you know still getting new customers but like I'll look in at stuff on on Ahrefs but um I I am not the uh the person who who sort of you know spends a lot of time looking at those numbers and trying to get them to move Okay. Cause I, so I'm trying to rewrite the, my landing page, um, kind of in a different tone, more value proposition focused. And I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole by accident where like of these AB testing websites and they're like, Oh, you could do this landing page and this landing page. And I was like, Whoa, should I be doing that? Is that, should I, and I think not where I am. I'm so early. Um, and I'm just getting going. I think I don't, I don't want to, I was just wondering if, if you were doing anything like that. I think for testing a, a value proposition, I don't think I would be doing 
A-B testing like that because A-B testing is really great for when you're only testing one thing so that you can determine which is right. Like, so it's really great for, for submit buttons. If you have an order form and you want to change that button to submit versus purchase versus I'm in versus, you know, what, like whatever you want to test a different version there and see if it has a higher conversion rate, or you want to specifically test the headline, or you specifically want to test only the subhead copy, or you specifically only want to test like several like paragraphs of copy. Like, I think that's really good in those scenarios. Um, but if you're trying to test an entirely different approach and like a different layout and like there's like there's so many variables going on that you can't like if it worked, how would you know which variable was it? That was. Made it better? Yeah. If you change the whole yeah. site, it doesn't do you so, any good. I get it. <laughs> I think for, for testing a value proposition, I would more so just put that in front of someone and have two options, like have two options completely mocked up and say, OK narrate look at this page tell me what you think you can do here narrate your thoughts out loud as you're going through it what questions do you have what does this make you think of um you know does this sound like something that would work for you and then do this exact same with the same person do the other landing page with them and then ask them so so which one of these do you like more why like oh what okay, resonates cool. with you what what other information might you be looking to find that you can't find here if you yeah. had a magic wand and you could change anything about this page, what would you change? Like, it's questions like that. Okay. Yeah. Because okay, what cool. you're really trying to figure out is why does someone want this and how can I take why they would want it into language that would communicate to them why they want it, if that made any sense. Yeah. And and I, I don't think A-B testing will tell you that, but I think talking to people will. Yeah, because um, so this last week on my regular page, so not my Heroku page. So my regular page is a lot harder to find because it doesn't pop up in the Google search results. I had 95 visitors and three people signed up, but all of those people bounced when they saw they had to enter a credit card. So I had zero signups mm. this week um, from that page. So I'm just wondering if 95 people visit it, only three are interested enough to try it. I feel like maybe I'm not communicating well enough. Yeah, I mean, that could be possible. It, it, it could be possible that for people specifically working with Heroku, like they experience this problem more acutely than these other That's people. That's true. They definitely have do. come across the landing page. And so there is a danger to focusing on Heroku. And this is something we've talked about. And, yeah. um, you know, one of my, some, something I find myself saying um is don't build your house on someone else's lawn. I don't know if I've yeah. ever said that to you before. No, um, but I like it. It causes a lot of problems for people when you're overly reliant on one marketplace or one channel or one vendor. Um, and like this is really common with people who build their product off of somebody else's platform and then yep. they make an API change and boom, like Bam. You're, out of, you're out of business um, or your business is significantly curtailed. So that's a long-term problem though. Yeah. You don't need to think about long-term problems right now. Like, okay. I think when you're at, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 a month in revenue <laughs> from Heroku and you still have zero from other sources, I think that's when we might be like, okay, like let's really think about diversifying into other markets or other marketplaces or, 
Um, yeah. But I okay. think as long as you have a website that is professional, that speaks to the same problems as their Heroku page, like even sends people to their Heroku page, like don't necessarily need to focus too much on that right now because you do have a channel okay. that's working. And it's okay. okay great. It's, it's okay to, advice. you know, build your tent on someone else's lawn, just not the house. Got it. I, I like it. Okay. I like this. This is, this is great advice. Um, for where I am now, like I'll focus on, on the Heroku traction channel. Cause that's the one I'm using. And yeah, when I get to $20,000 a month. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're going to be there. We're talking about where you're going to be a year from now. Like you may not be there a year from now, but you, you might be like, I'll get there. It's, it does be, seem insane. I can't even, it like, seems insane. I can't I mean, even conceptualize we, like, that. Our launch, like if you had told me that I would be working on this business full time in a matter of three and a half years from when we launched it, I would have thought that was utterly absurd, like and wrong. <laughs> it's amazing. And like, I love it. You know, um, I think you can do it though. But Thanks. yes, let's, th- I think that is a future calling problem. And let's yeah, deal okay, with got the it. That's what I need to problems right now. Okay. And okay. So I think for this week for my marketing stuff, I think emailing people personally has really been good because I've gotten, I got another guy on the phone, oh, another 10 minutes. I did. <laughs> it was um, another 10 minute conversation, okay. but it was good though. Like it was, I, I feel like I know on the free, the free tier, at least, like I kind of know how people are finding me and I know how they're using me. And this was exciting because he's using node. So the two people I have talked to are not, neither of them are using a language that I have specific documentation for, but both oh, of them sorted it out. Yeah. And he was like, it was super easy. And I was like, sweet. So that's really good. So yeah. So I'm going to keep, keep pounding the pavement on trying to get people to talk to me. I think that's, that's where I am. Yeah. Um, and one more, I feel like I keep like trickling out these (laughs) pieces of advice to you about interviews. And I promise at some point I'm, I will tell you everything and I'm not doing it intentionally. Um, when you talk to someone on the phone, especially in these early days, it is so powerful if you can send them a handwritten thank you note. Now, you may not have time for this. You may not have good handwriting. Like you, you know. I do. I have great handwriting. (laughs) People listening may not, you know, I don't want to make them feel bad. Um, (laughs) We receive such little mail lately that is meaningful, right? Like it's bills or it's junk mail or catalogs. Like getting something in the mail that somebody else like personally hand wrote to you thanking you for doing something is so powerful and I think it'll be really powerful for you at this stage um we started doing that when we like finally had stickers made and I would include stickers in it and like people would excitedly like send us pictures of um you know our sticker on their laptop which is just the coolest thing that's so cool um but I think it's really really powerful um if you can just send someone a thank you note okay at the very least, an email is is good. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea, and it's such an obvious thing. It didn't. I'm kind of surprised it didn't occur to me until you just told me. So I'm going to do that immediately. That's a great idea. Yeah, and then if you later like make any changes based on what they said, whether that was, hey, like thanks for talking to me six months ago. I just wanted to know that I added documentation for uh, installing this in Node, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share that suggestion with me. Like. People really appreciate that. 
So that's going to wrap us up for this week's episode of the Software Social Podcast. We love to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter at Software Social Pod. And if you enjoyed this, something that would help us a lot would be leaving us a review on iTunes. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.